Hi, Chris Valentin here. Welcome to my podcast, where I hope to inspire you to transform the world within you and transform the world around you. I'm excited to share this message with you today. I pray the Lord ministers to you as you listen. Lord, today we pray that your anointing would be in the room, that there would be um, eyes open, ears clear. Lord, we just bless this day as the day that you made. Amen. Well, I preached this message in first service, and it's kind of like going to a funeral. <laughs> so, so hopefully we do better than that. <laughs> and uh, then I tw- preached at Twin View, and people were shouting and yelling. I'm like, that's ah, a better funeral than the funeral I was at the first one. But um, I want to talk about the, the, power, uh, the, the power and the problem of leadership. And I want to kind of set this up for why I'm sharing this message. First of all, We've had, I think, uh, that I've seen five different prophets speak to us in the last 12 months at least around this whole idea of plumb line, about God creating justice, about God cleansing his church, about holiness. It's probably even more than that. And I, I, I shared uh, probably three weeks ago about this dream I had about this building this pillar of justice. And I've been really taken in the last, uh, really the last several months, but especially the last few weeks, that this idea of justice and plumb line and holiness isn't just about them, it's actually about us too. And so I want to talk about what I see. And and I feel like, um, you know, when Jesus uh, built his church, you know, the word church is the, in Greek is the word ekklesia, and it means to be called out of one place and into another. So before Jesus ever used the word, I will build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it, Matthew 16, before he said that, that word ekklesia was not, um, was not directly related to anything, I'll say religious in the positive sense. It was often used for political gatherings. People were called out of one party and into another, called out of one place and into another. And so um, this idea of ecclesia, this idea that Jesus is building a church and that we are the called out ones, that the idea that that, is, that word is like, like holy or, or spiritual is, is, is not true from the standpoint of the way the word was used in first century Rome. But Jesus takes this idea and he says, I'm going to build my church. I'm going to build my ecclesia and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. And all of a sudden, Jesus takes this word and he um, sort of spiritualizes it and says, I'm, I'm taking people who are going to be called out of the world and called into the kingdom. And he gives, he redefines the word. And now we, we have this idea of ecclesia. And it's interesting to me that Jesus he spends three and a half years you know, on, in his ministry, 33 years on the earth. And his ministry, the, the leadership of Jesus Christ is so profoundly powerful that to this day, Jesus remains secular and sacred, the greatest leader of all time. Like even when they survey, when secular, when you, you can read surveys of secular groups who ask, who was the greatest leader of all time? And Jesus Christ is always at the top of every single one of those surveys. 
And it's because he's had such a profound, Jesus has such a profound impact on us. And of course, we know he's Lord and God. But I want to point out that Jesus begins by he's preaching to the crowds. But before he ever has a, or let's say in the midst of him preaching to the crowds, he calls 12 disciples and he begins to pour into leadership. And I, 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 and for Jesus has a three and a half year leadership plan for 12 guys. And when Jesus leaves the earth, when God leaves the earth from the standpoint of him in human body, in human form, the gospel continues to grow. Like, like I'm saying, Jesus said, greater works for you do. And I understand we're talking about miracles, but I'd like to point out that the gospel spread exponentially after he left through 12 guys, through 70 guys, and through, you get the idea. And, and so I, I look at our world right now and I, I you know, I, I'm the guy who wrote the book Moral Revolution. So, you know, I have really strong convictions about morality. I, I think we all have strong convictions in this room about morality. It's a place where I feel God anointed me to teach on this. And it began with, you know, being a youth pastor for nine years and, 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 and realizing that young people were coming, you know, coming to our youth group who knew nothing about sexuality, knew nothing about morality. And then five years with a secular youth group of those kids started out with, on probation and teaching them about sexuality, more than that, but teaching them about sexuality, about character, about nobility. And I, I, I came to realize that there's a whole world out there that knows nothing about nobility, knows nothing about morality, knows nothing about virtues. And, and so when I, when I look out and I see the world, the world in a free fall, I see them embracing homosexuality, transgenderism. I see these things growing in the world. It's not surprising because they're the world. I, I, don't, I, I, I don't feel alarmed by it, not because it isn't bad, but because I see Jesus came to save the world. So the challenge uh, that I'm talking to today, and even though I, I, I think that the world needs to be reached, we're the light of the world, today my, my message is actually about the church. And I'm deeply concerned about the embracing of immorality and impurity in the church. I'm deeply concerned when people identify with things that aren't extra biblical, but directly anti-biblical. Lifestyles that are in direct contention with the word of God. When I see entire movements, like denominations, the Methodists, the, the, uh, you know, and, and the Presbyterians, dividing over not just is it okay to live a gay life, but is it okay to have gay people actually leading homosexuals, actually leading congregations? I'm like, this is crazy. This is, this is insanity. This is what Isaiah said, that there'll come a day when they'll call evil good and good evil. And I, and I, I am going to say that I'm deeply troubled um, Again, the world's the world. So I, I don't know how you make this divide for me, but when you don't have the Lord, I, I walked without the Lord for 18 years. I did things, thought things, and said things that were, I was a reprobate. I didn't know the Lord. But when I received Christ, he called me to righteousness. And I understand that it's been a process for me. It's a process for you. I'm not saying like I instantly got pure, but I will say this, my heart instantly changed and I had to walk out what was inside of me. I'm really concerned 
for what I see happening. And I feel, can I say, you know, two, two weeks ago, I preached on this pillar of justice. And, I, and, and I, I can tell you that I keep having these encounters about justice and about righteousness. Like I'm having them at night. I'm having dreams about it. And I, I feel deeply troubled about it. And I feel like it's time, as, as for me, I feel like it's becoming a passion to begin to say, hey, there's a plumb line that the Lord is drawing, not for them, but for each of us. and includes me. And I, and, I, and I look at what Jesus did and he, he sees there, there's, he's drawing crowds of thousands, but who is he spending most of his time with? Leaders. I mean, if you read the Bible, first of all, you should read the Bible. <laughs> it's a great book. Uh, several years ago, I was interested in in the Gospels, I was interested in what specifically did Jesus preach to the crowds and what specifically did he share with his disciples? It's interesting if you, do, if you go through and highlight it that way that the crowds got very little of Jesus' deep revelation. Most of it was preached to his disciples, 12 guys, not even the 70, 12 guys in private. And it tells me that Jesus spends time with disciples, 12 guys, they become apostles. I understand there was 70, I understand there was more, 120 in the upper room. I, I, I'm not saying there was just 12, but through the gospels, he primarily spent time with 12 guys and a few women. And out of that, he created world changers and history makers. So when I look at the church right now, and I look at the church in trouble, I think of the congregation, I think of the 3,000 metaphorically, but I think that the crisis is often in the leadership and it works its way out. Does that make sense? There is a, there's a, there is, there is a movement, it's been going on for quite a few years, that is, in my opinion, it's a little off. Well, let me say it. I believe in, with two or three get together in my name, I'll be in their midst. And people say, well, three people is an ecclesia. It's a church. And I'm like, well, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And Peter pointed out that he's building us with living stones. So when three people get together, technically they are living stones. So you can say, you know, the church is... is Three people are our church in one sense. Uh, but, but in the greater sense of what Jesus taught us and the, and the apostles taught us that church was, three people aren't actually an ecclesia. Now, three people are called out of, of darkness and into the kingdom. So from that standpoint, they are. But ecclesia isn't just about three people. It's about leadership. It's about structure. Now, I know people always want to point out, like the, the church is not a building. Those are the people who don't go to one. <laughs> the people who shout that the most are people who don't go to them. The church is not an organization. Those are people who went to the organization and didn't do well in it. So the, and I'd point out that, you know, they say, well, the church is an organization. I'm like, I have six, four kids I have six people in my family and we had organization. Yeah, yeah. You can't even feed your children without organization. 
And when they get teenagers, you need even more organization. So, you know, they're like, well, we don't believe in organization. We have a church at our house. I'm like, you have a certain time they come? Yes. Do you move the furniture around so everyone can fit? Yeah, well, you organizing. <laughs> Do you read the Bible? <laughs> but I think that there is a spirit of rebellion that is sweeping the church. And I see this movement that's happening that I'm deeply concerned about. And that movement is, I see people that get offended with the organization, the building, and they go self-commission themselves to start a home church, which isn't an organization, and it's, it's not in a building. Well, are you out in the rain? Now you're spiritual. And I'm concerned that this leadership that is beginning to spread, not beginning, it's spread for the last 20 years, is actually, un, is actually a big part of why the church is getting away from holiness and purity and beginning to teach strange doctrines. Okay, here we go. So you turn to Ephesians chapter four, and I'm going to share a little bit of this with you. And we'll go down to uh, verse 11. He gave some as apostles, this is Jesus, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers, to equip the saints to do the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ. To equip the saints to do the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until, how long did he give the apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers? Until we all attain the unity of the faith, to the knowledge of the Son of God, to the measure of the statute that belongs to the fullness of Christ. Okay, let me just stop for a minute. So there, first of all, I want you to notice that the ecclesia suddenly has apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Uh, are, are you following me at all? I'm saying, when you go, I, you know, us four are, are the ecclesia, I'm like, yeah, not in the broader sense. In the broader sense, the ecclesia actually has apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers in it. It actually has leadership. Like Jesus didn't say, you guys just gather whenever you want and you are the ecclesia. He's like, no, actually when you gather, I want leaders to be involved in this thing. I took three and a half years and I poured myself into 12 guys and that's the reason why 2,000 years later we still feel the continued and expanded effect of Jesus' ministry because he poured into 12 people who poured into others, who poured into others, who built leadership teams, who built congregations and they actually had apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers. They didn't just have people hanging out going, what do you think about the Bible? Hey, what do you think about the Bible? Maybe we should do something. Oh, we don't want to organize that because that's going to be religion. He actually had leadership. And that leadership's first responsibility was to equip the saints to do the work of service. Are you with me? Okay, and how long did he give them? Until we all attain the unity of faith to the knowledge of the Son of God, to the measure of statute belongs to the fullness of Christ. I'd propose we're still working on that. Now I know Pastor Bill has arrived, but we are all modeling ourselves. <laughs> nah. Just joking. Boy, that was a lose-lose, no matter how I said that. Okay, I want, to, I want you to look at verse 14. What is the result of the equipping of the saints? What is the result? Well, look at verse 14. It begins with this word, as a result. 
We are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by ways, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by the craftiness of deceitful scheming. Listen, if that wasn't written for today, I don't know what was. He says, listen, when the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, pastor, and teacher are in, working and equipping the saints, the result of that is that you are street smart. Listen, you're not training in the zoo to be ready for the domestication of the animals. You're actually training in the jungle so you can be ready for the jungle. He says, I've given these five-fold ministry so that you won't be deceived. You won't be tricked. You won't be, you won't be taken by strange doctrine. You won't embrace weird stuff and call it God. But I'm pointing out that the further you get away from anointed commissioned ministry, the more you get deceived. The more you start embracing doctrine, like, where did you get that? <laughs> Here we go. He goes on, but speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in all aspects of him who's the head, even Christ, on whom the whole body being fitted and held together, now he's, he's using the metaphor of a body, held together by whatever joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the built, I'm sorry, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. I just want to finish with this thought on that point. When the body has apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers in a healthy way. In other words, when that is not just in place, but it's healthy. The result is that people aren't tricked. They don't believe weird stuff. There's health throughout the saints. And then it says that the result of that is that the body builds up the body in love. In other words, the outcome of all of that is that when you need to be healed, you don't have to come to the pastoral team. You can go to someone else in the congregation because they, they carry the gift of healing and they know how to heal the sick. When you need counsel, you don't need to come to the pastor like, I need some counseling, because the body has been prepared and commissioned to counsel. When you, when you need to lead someone to the Lord, when someone needs to be led to the Lord, you don't have to bring them to church to get led to the Lord because you are an extension of the kingdom and you can lead them to the Lord. I'm saying we used to call this parking lot ministry and only the people that had titles could actually do the ministry. Then we actually learned that you're actually in the ministry. I'm actually in the ministry. Are you with me? And I'm saying that the outflow of great leadership is that the body actually takes care of the body. Right? You remember Crocodile Dundee? It's a whole movie. He was like, he was, in, he was at this party. I'm so, oh yeah, that was, anyway, I should probably not talk about this. He's at this party and he's, he's asking this, this guy, this, like a psychologist or psychiatrist, and he's counseling people and he goes, he goes, what does that guy do? He goes, oh, he's a psychiatrist. You know, he's from, he, he's from Australia. He's supposed to be from the outback and she's from New York. And he says, well, what does he do? He says, well, he counsels people. He goes, counsels people? You mean he ain't got no mates? You know, he like, he doesn't have a friend. He has to pay for counseling. How come his friend can't help him? He didn't get that anyway. He had seen the movie. <laughs> didn't go so well. Don't quote movies. <laughs> Titus chapter one. I, I want to point out that when the word of God began to spread through the early church, right? 
through the book of Acts. And it spread into Crete, which was a Greek city, into Rome, Roman city. Now we're talking about polytheism. We're talking about gross sin. I guess all sin is gross in some way. What, like, what, how did the apostles think about the strategy for reaching these former Gentile cities or these Gentile cities that, how did they reach them? And I, I want you to notice this. Look at Titus chapter one, verse four. Titus, my true child in the common faith, grace and peace from God, the Father and our Christ Jesus, our Lord. Listen to this. For this reason, I left you in Crete that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. Namely, if any man is above reproach, the husband of one wife, having children who believe, not accused of dissensation or rebellion, for an overseer must be above reproach, the steward, uh, God's steward, not self-willed, not, temp- not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not fond of sordid gain, but hospitable, hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, just, devout, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word, which is in accordance with teaching, so that he be able to exhort with sound doctrine and refute those and refute those who contradict. And it goes on like that. I'm pointing out that when they moved into a, a city, the first thing they did is they began to appoint leaders. Titus was commissioned to first appoint leaders in every city. Can you imagine the gospel spreading from city to city? He goes, get in the creed and get us some leaders. Thinking of the model that Jesus did. Jesus is reaching the crowds, but he's getting away most often and he's teaching 12 guys. Why? Because he wants this to be a legacy. This is Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is multi-generations. Listen, you can speak to the crowds, but if you don't build leadership, you're not gonna build something that lasts. So he takes that model and he goes, listen, Titus, I want you to go into Creed and I want you to find elders. Now here are the qualifications. And he lays out these character qualifications. He does the same thing with Timothy in in Ephesus. He tells Timothy, Timothy, point elders. Here Here are the character qualities. Here are, they have to have a good reputation. Listen, if they can't lead their own household, they have no business leading the household of God. And I'm pointing out that it wasn't just guys who got angry and started their own house church and they go, we got an ecclesia going over here. I'm like, that's not an ecclesia. <laughs> that's a rebellion. <laughs> Am I saying all house churches are rebellious? Of course not. I'm pointing out that there are, that you get on social media and you, 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 you hear people like, I don't know, I'm on social media all the time. So, Everybody's got a problem with the church. Oh, my leaders spiritually abuse me. You know, my leaders, you know, they don't empower people. My leader, and it's like there's this whole and growing, growing, what's the word I'm looking for? Growing distrust for church leaders and organizations. And I'm like, I don't know if the challenge is, I know that there's challenges with church leaders. Let me say this, that we are involved with lots of church leaders. Uh, We have a whole network. We're called in lots of times when some of the biggest names that you know of, we're often working with those folks. So I understand that leaders have issues. And I understand that God is bringing judgment on that. And I mean judgment in a merciful way, but in a justing way. But I'm as concerned about the disciples. <laughs> because 
Jesus never called you a Christian. He called you a disciple. And the nature of discipleship is someone is, here it goes, it's deep, discipling you. And the word disciple comes from the word discipline. Here we go. I'm pointing out that I'm not sure that we're in a crisis of, of just leadership as much as we're in a crisis of people who don't want anyone to tell them what to do. And when you don't want to be told what to do, listen, any of you raising teenagers, anybody you raised teenagers? Listen, we had some great teenagers, but I can tell you that when you, in the teenage years, when you want your kid to do such and such because it's the right thing to do, and he tells his principal, my parents are controlling, that means he wants to do whatever he wants to do. And because you don't want him to do that, you're a control freak. And I'm pointing out that yes, there's probably lots of leaders who are controlling and spiritually abused people and that needs to be fixed. But I'm pointing out that when you are in rebellion, anybody that tells you anything is actually trying to control you. And I'm concerned that we are raising Christians as a, I'm talking about globally now, that we're raising Christians, but we're actually not making disciples. People who actually have spiritual authority in their life, people who actually have people who can direct and correct them, people who actually have people who can speak truth to them in love, people that can actually take them by the hand and go, you're going the wrong direction. I'm deeply concerned that we have redefined what the church is and we've redefined what Christianity is. We've made the church, anytime three people gather, and I'm like, yes, but in the context of, of the global issue we have, that definition is a problem. Because you can be in rebellion and not want anyone to tell you anything, have no mothers and fathers spiritually in your life, get 20 other people who agree with that to go to your home, and you think you have a church. And I'm pointing out that the church actually had leadership who were qualified and commissioned by people who had a reputation for being godly. Good point. In Acts chapter six, they had, um, the apostles were feeding people who were getting saved, these large crowds. You know this story. And the Hinolistic Jews were complaining that they were actually being neglected. Like uh, right in the middle of the revival, six years into the revival, there was already prejudice in the church. And so the apostles got together and they said, well, let's appoint, listen, we're going to appoint seven people to wait on tables and we're going to give ourselves to the word of God. Listen, listen to what they did though. So the 12 summoned the congregation of the disciples and said to them, it's not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom who we can put in charge of this task. I'm only pointing out that were to wait on tables in the early church. You had to have a great reputation, you had to be full of the spirit, and you had to have wisdom. It wasn't just like, I'll volunteer. I got kicked out of the last six churches. Don't believe in organization. Anyway. The apostles laid out the requirements. He's, the, the apostles said, listen, here's the requirements. And, he, and then they said, you choose from among you people who meet these requirements. And they chose them, and then they laid their hands on them, prayed, and commissioned them. I believe in spiritual organization. Yes. 
I believe in spiritual authority. I think the challenge in our day is that there is a mindset that I think is at the root of immorality. In other words, I don't think the immorality that we're seeing in the church and in the world is the problem. I think it's the symptom. I think the problem is rebellion. I think the problem is no one tells me what to do. The Lord is my shepherd. And what's happening is because they're not connected, because we get disconnected from leadership and leaders get disconnected from one another, we end up believing every wind of doctrine. Whatever the next latest book comes out that says, oh, this Greek word doesn't really mean that. It means this. It means this over here. And Jesus really didn't teach about that. And pretty soon we have people, we have, we have congregations, full congregations that are embracing things that my grandfather, who wasn't a Christian, would have known was wrong. And we're not just embracing it like, okay, come to our church. We're embracing it like, you're right. Come, we will commission you, despite your lifestyle. Is that what you feel is right? Whatever you feel, whatever you feel, listen, we don't want to offend you. And people say this all the time. They say, you know, I just the church offends me. I'm like, you should follow Jesus. You want to be offended. <laughs> I mean, even my first service message, I didn't see everyone leave but just Bill and I. When Jesus preached a message about drinking blood and eating flesh, messed up the whole first service. <laughs> Everybody left. I'm just pointing out, I don't know how you read the Bible and not at times be offended. Not go, man, that hurts. Because that's the Bible. And now we're being told, you know, if you don't agree with me, you don't love me. I'm like, well, then Jesus didn't love anybody. He didn't agree with the world at all. I want to talk for a few minutes, 10 minutes. I want to talk about the authority of leadership. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, the Hebrew writer writes, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let me just read it one more time. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. And I just want to point out that the writer of Hebrews says that there are shepherds who will actually give an account to God for the people assigned to them. I want you to think about that for a minute. There are shepherds. Like in, on judgment day, there are shepherds who the Lord will say, I gave you this hundred flock. You were accountable for these, the souls of these people. And the Hebrew writer writes, you should obey to them because they're going to give an account for you. I know very few people who even think that's true. And yet this is, uh, this is the ecclesia. Ecclesia isn't just, let's get together at your house and sing revival songs and we got us a church. I'm like, I'm sorry, that's not true. The Lord has assigned leaders in the church. Paul said, I was called not by the agency of man, but by God to be an apostle. The Lord has actually established leadership. 
Jesus established leadership. He set them in order. By, he saw what the Father was anointing, and he anointed that. He required character of those people. He required them to be connected. And he called them to an account for the people they were giving oversight to. Does that make sense? I, um, I had a dream this morning at four o'clock. And, I, and the dream, you know, you know how weird dreams are. I always feel weird talking about dreams in the streaming service. I had this dream and in this dream, there was a friend of mine and she was, I was talking to her and I just looked over in her ears and her ears were full of wax and dirt. And I said to her, wow, no wonder you can't hear. You need to clean your ears. You need, in fact, I said this, I said, you need to get someone to help you clean your ears. And I immediately woke up. And when I woke up, I felt the Holy Spirit tell me that many people in the body of Christ need to clean out their ears so they can hear what the Spirit is saying. And I was, uh, this morning, I was re reminded of Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11. Let me read it to you. Concerning him, we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For both, by this time, you ought to be teachers. You need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. And there's this picture that, that forms in my mind when he says, you, you should be eating meat. You will meat eater, but you can only drink milk. And he's talking about can you imagine a 15-year-old drinking a bottle? And he's saying, listen, you're old enough that not only should you be eating meat, but you should be teaching other people how to eat meat. It's a metaphor. You should be teaching other people the elementary teachings, but you, 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 can't, you haven't got past the elementary teachings because you won't embrace the word of righteousness. And what I'm getting at is he, he compares all of that to you can't hear. Your hearing's dull. And I remember in Romans 10, it says, faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. How many of you know that if your ears are dull, your faith is low? And I think that the Lord is coming and he's, he, for some of us, you know, he's, he's, he's opening our ears and he's giving us hearing aids. I saw the Lord passing out hearing aids this morning. Aids to our hearing so that we can hear so that we can receive the word of righteousness, so that we can actually be changed. I remember years ago in Weaverville, we, were, um, we, were, we had a men's meeting. I, I don't remember, it was maybe 30 people in the men's meeting that night. And um, it was just, it was, uh, it, was, it was at, in Mount Chapel. And there was no worship that night, that I remember at least. And Bill was teaching, and I think Bill was teaching on David's radical worship and Michael, his wife, who looked out the castle window, saw David dancing in the streets, despised him, and had no more children after that. And so I believe that was the teaching. I, I know Bill taught that. I think it was that night. And, and anyway, after the teaching, Bill said, I believe that we're to get up and we're to dance before the Lord. And I was like, well, first of all, I'm like, there's no music. <laughs> and secondly, you know, I, like, how do you... Like, what, I, I never danced before, like, you know. <laughs> Shake it on, baby, now. You know, I was like, 
I have no idea what to do. I didn't figure that was appropriate before the Lord because I did that before I knew the Lord with a whole bunch of people who did that before they knew the Lord. So I didn't figure that would be appropriate. I'd never actually seen anybody, you know, dance before the Lord except for the, you know, kind of the ballerina ladies. And I'm like, I, that didn't seem to go with my waistline. I was like, that ain't gonna work. So Bill's like, you know, I mean, you need to get up and I just feel like, you know, here's these 30 men who I all, you know, I know them all, I work with them. We live together in a small community and it's like, I just feel like we're to get up and dance before the Lord. And, I, and I, I'm like, and I'm thinking, there ain't no way I'm getting up and dancing before the Lord. Then everybody stood. So I'm like, well, I should stand. Kind of like Ananias and Sapphira. I want to fit in, but I don't want to give that much. So Bill's like, yeah, let's dance before the Lord. And I don't remember how they, I closed my eyes. I was like, I can't even watch what this is going to look like. And I think I did a little. Something just to fit in. So and I, I, am, I have to tell you, it's funny right now, but I was deeply offended. I was deeply offended. And we went home that night. Charlie Harper lived uh, just, we, we lived right across from each other. So Charlie drove that night. And so we were riding, I was riding home with Charlie, which is about 10, 12 minute drive. And Charlie's driving in and I'm like, man, that's just ridiculous, you know. Where is that in the Bible? Like leaping before the Lord. I don't see Apostle Paul leaping anywhere. And I'm just going on and on. You know, Bill, I can't even believe Bill would require something so stupid. No music, like, you know. Charlie's like, I'm thinking Charlie's in complete agreement. We got an ecclesia right here. Two of us are agreeing on earth as to touching anything, baby. We are going to change the rules. We're going to get the elders together and we're going to fix this problem. We get all the way to my house. Charlie hasn't spoken a word. He didn't shake his head. He didn't make any gestures. But I know Charlie. I know Charlie hates to dance too. (laughs) So we get to my house and I open the door to get out and he grabs me by the arm. So I get back in and he goes, climb or die. Climb or die. So I was in shock because I realized we didn't have an ecclesia. I closed the car door. I go in my house. I, I don't sleep that night very well. So I thought the whole time that Charles was with me. And then I realized that I needed leadership in my life to actually see, help me to see what was going on. Climb or die. What did he mean by that? He meant go on in God or dry up like a leaf. Move forward in God or complain over here and dry up like a vine that's got no water. Like either move on or you're going to die in the spirit. And it shook me right now. I can tell it because it's years ago with no pain, but it shook me to the core and I realized that the Lord sets up times. And by the way, let me just, well, let me finish. I realized that the Lord sets up times that you run into a trial and something comes out of you. And if you're not careful, you blame the trial. You blame the people. When actually what happened is the Lord squeezed you and what was in you came out. 
And I realized that there was rebellion in me that I hadn't dealt with since my childhood. When the Lord said, climb or die, I went to bed last, that night and I said, I started to complain about Charlie and I felt the Lord. <laughs> I sort of felt this like, son, you aren't that stupid, are you? And I said to myself, the next time there's a time to dance, I'm going to do more than what's required of me. And I became one of the most radical dancers. Go to tell you. I became. You want me to show you? <laughs> you know why? Because I wasn't dancing. I was breaking a spirit that was generationally deep in my family lineage. Generationally deep in my family lineage. And I realized that I had carried that. So every time there was an opportunity to dance, I danced like a wild man. Now I have physical limitations. I want to finish with this thought. People go to work every day. They come to work the time the boss says, Maybe the boss doesn't even know the Lord. Time the boss says, wear the uniform, the boss says. Take lunch when the boss says. Do what the boss says all day. Leave when the boss says. All for money. Wow. They come to church yeah. to people who likely have better character than the person who doesn't know the Lord at least and complain about the leadership and won't clean the bathrooms. Won't serve... Get offended when you say, could you move up three aisles? Yeah. Isn't it weird that people will do for money what they won't do for love? It's really strange that we don't build theologies about our bosses not telling us what to do. But we will spend hours figuring out reasons why we don't have to obey spiritual authority. And I'm telling you, that's a perversion. And the Lord is bringing us back to the plumb line. He's calling us back to holiness, but he's calling us back to submission. And I believe that leadership is one of the keys to how we find our way back from being tricked by false doctrine, by the craftiness of people scheming, and that we're gonna see the body of Christ as leaders rise up and as honor is restored to the body of Christ. We're going to see people coming out of the deception. We're going to see many Charlies speaking to the body and saying, climb or die. And we're going to see people that say, I'm not going to die. I'm going to climb. Would you stand, please? I'm going to give you some homework. I rarely do, but I'm going to give you some homework. Who's coming up? You're going to give an altar call, right? You give the altar call. Yeah. I want you. Okay, I'm your leader. Pretend. <laughs> Pretend. Pretend you got the message completely. And you're like, this is one of my spiritual leaders. He's, he's asking me to do something. That's why I'm going to completely obey. 
I want you to go home today and I want you to take a few minutes. It might be longer. And ask the Holy Spirit, is there, if you squeeze me, does any of that rebellion come out of me? Was I in the room today because you wanted that message for me? And I know we hear messages like this. We go, oh man, I wish Johnny was here. He needed to hear that message. And the Lord's like, Johnny wasn't here because you're the one who needed that message. I know that we're all dealing with something, but I want you to just agree with me that you will take time with Holy Spirit and ask Holy Spirit, if there's anything in me that resembles rebellion, independence, anything like that, would you please drive it out of me? Lord, I pray right now, I thank you for this wonderful congregation, for those who are watching us, that part of our congregation that are online, for those that are in the room, for those that will watch us later. Lord, I thank you for this amazing congregation and that I got to be, that we get to be a part of leading an extraordinary group of people. But Lord, I also know that even extraordinary people can have challenges and struggles. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would reveal to us our own hearts for the purpose of holiness and righteousness in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so very much. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. To stay connected, you can sign up for my weekly newsletter at chrisvalentin.com forward slash subscribe. God bless you.